0: Welcome to another episode of The Root of All Business. This is your host, Bear, and today's guest is Terry. Terry is the author of Profiling for Profit, What Crossed Arms Don't Tell You, Mastering the Art of Observation. He's also the chairman of Evolutionary Healer, a global transformation performance improvement company. Terry, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Jasper. I'm excited to talk to you.
0: We are going to have a very interesting conversation today about observation. One of my favorite things, and I'll I'll share some of my stories as well. But I just really want to find out from you, now we are, everybody's locked in, everybody's inside. What have you observed in people that has really shocked you or owed you, or what has been kind of your takeaway?
1: Well, this is my environment. I'm in my office where I am 24 seven and depending on, on what I'm doing in one of my four divisions of my global company. We're in five continents, 13 countries. And nothing's changed here, except for on a personal note, we love to go out to, to eat and that's not an option right now. So when we go out, it's takeout and bring it home. So that's the biggest shift there. But a lot of people haven't, at least in the first few weeks, This is the end of the seventh week for us here in Southeast U.S. People are having a real tough time switching from live event thought processes like networking events and speaking from the stage and all those kinds of things to what am I going to do now? Well, you're not doing anything different right now, you know? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm dressed to step up on the stage because I'm a professional, okay? And when I speak to you, I speak to you as a person. You just happen to be watching it on a computer screen or maybe it's on your phone or something else. But guess what? You're still a person and I still have a message for you. And so I've been doing a lot of coaching and mentoring of my colleagues about everything's fine. You're just changing venue is all, okay? Instead of being on front of a camera at the back of a room on a stage, you're in front of a camera sitting at your desk or wherever it is that you decide that you want to do your thing. And nothing's changed. You still have the message. So send it out there. People are waiting for it. People are looking for you. Send your message out.
0: Awesome. Now, let's talk a little bit about kind of what you do and then who you kind of help. And congratulations, you became an author late last year. And interesting enough, I was looking at this, you and I became authors in the gap of two days.
1: Oh, interesting. That
0: was very interesting to see. Tell us a little bit more about your book. How did that come about? What does it entail?
1: Okay, well, actually, Profiling for Profit, you'll see this on the website there. Profiling for Profit is a culmination. I am a, a lifelong people watcher. And I was a career U.S. Navy man for a long time, and I stationed and was on ships all over Europe, the Mediterranean, North Africa, Central America, East America, Canada, Iceland, all over the place. And when I got a chance to get off the ship and get out into the cities that we were at, I would find myself a sidewalk cafe, and I'd get outside and sit down, and I'd have my cappuccino, one of these. <laughs> I made one for myself this morning. It puts me in the mindset. So I would just sit there and watch people. It's fascinating, you know, those who are stressing positively and negatively, you know, on how they would react, wants and desires to become a doctor or a psychologist or anything like that. I just love watching people. And about 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago, over a decade, I love saying that, it's just fun. <laughs> I, quite by accident and by intuition, was helping somebody over a similar thing to, to Zoom, it was actually on Skype, somebody who was was having some issues, and I had a hunch, close your eyes and tell me what you smell. And she did, and she reacted oh my God, I smell gas and it's an all electric building. There must be a fire. I said, well, I think you kind of smelled the gas before the instant I asked you to smell something. So do me a favor, close your eyes and see if you can smell the gas again. Just be present with it. And she says, yes, I do. I said, good. Go back and find a memory where you found that gas. And she did. And it was quite amazing because... Three to five hours a week for the following, subsequent three months or so, what we now call repetitive behavior cellular regression, we've trademarked it in the U.S., was born. It's a question and answer sequence that finds amnesiac memories back in uh, early childhood that drives adult behavior. Dr. Sigmund Freud, a famous psychiatrist from Austria, about 120 years ago, 130 years ago, was doing the same thing, only he just never found the the pathway back, I did. And so where this is going is when we work with a client, they have their eyes closed on camera. We don't do this in person. And I noticed that they do certain things and and while they were talking about memories. And I started equating them to all the people I've watched in my life, including myself. Now, when my baby girl was little, when she would cry, I'd pick her up and put her over the left side of my body, over my heart, heart-to-heart connection. And I I start observing, huh? I wonder if there's something to that. Is there a correlation? And what I found is if I split my body vertically, straight down, everything on the left is love, nurture, trust, confidence, all positive emotions. Right side is defense, deflection, fear, distrust, and When I made that observation, here's what happened. We were able to find those lost memories much faster, where they used to take four hours, four and a half hours to help them find this lost memory. Now it takes three and three memories, used to take six memories or so, because we found that a personally calm person telling me what all they smelled in a memory would be doing something with their their body. And so I started equating that to different things that I've done in in sales, and my practitioners that I have all over the country in nine countries started saying, "Terry, write a book, write a book, write a book." So after five years of getting beat up by my people, I wrote the book, and it has some very interesting stories in it and some teachings about watching somebody right now on a video or talking to them on the phone or the way they communicate to you on an email, all means something. And if you pay attention to that or observe, mastering the art of observation, you can make real-time decisions about how you are sending your message to somebody, you and I, for instance, or a room full of people, or a stadium. I've given lectures to 2,700 people before. So and it's no different. It's still person to person. It's still the message. And so, that's how all of this got put together into a book. It's very interesting. My practitioners are crazy in love with it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I got to tell you, I watch my analytics. Uh, that's that's what a good person does. A good business person watches how how effective their time, energy, and resources, money, uh, is going, and Amazon Italy is 400% sales is 400% ahead of US. And I don't know hardly anybody in Italy. So, you know, Italians are very personable people. They hug, they kiss, you know, they're always touching and they have an interest in profiling for profit because it resonates with them. So I I was a very interesting find, Jasper.
0: Well, we should definitely tell in the audience you know, about you're not a one-man band. You have, you have a global business. You have a team of over 40 people. Am I right in saying you have nine practitioners across the world and in 13 countries? Is that, is that correct?
1: Well, covers our clients and practitioners were on five continents in 13 countries. Our practitioners and master practitioners, I've taken five superstars and taught them everything I know and so that they can teach other people. They're in nine countries. Our services are available in seven languages, 26 US states. And we did that in about four and a half years since 2012 is when we founded the company. And the first four and a half, five years, we expanded to that model. And then I had a birth defect in my heart that the doctor and I used to say, someday we're going to have to fix that. Well, someday came. And that That slowed me up, and fixing that heart problem stopped me for about two and a half years. Couldn't travel. So now that's all changed, and what happens? Coronavirus. (laughs) So I'm supposed to be on camera, ladies and gentlemen, and that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just did a a webinar for one of the uh, associations that – was going to have me speak from their stage later this year. Now that that's canceled, I contacted them and say let's do a webinar. You know, nothing's lost, let's 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 still contact your people and keep them engaged. And so we did.
0: Absolutely. I I agree. I mean, in terms of there's definitely feels like when you're not somewhere live present, it feels like you're kind of why am I paying more money for something that's, I'm not going to an event, I'm I'm getting it on camera. But having said that, Having said that, you know you're getting the opportunity of, or should we say opportunity, or the benefit of not getting ready and leaving the house and getting, you know, you have, you're in the, the comfort of your home. You're going to get the same value, and in terms of it's even better. The person will have even more time, perhaps, to give answer your Q and A on all that kind of stuff. So it works really well. I think eventually this might be the push that we need, and that's one of the best things we're going to get out of this is the push that we need where we can be more flexible to work from home and really test our technology to see, does it deliver at the times like these? Does it deliver? You know, we could have perhaps something, another crisis so who knows? And, and it's really a good time to put everything in place. And most companies are testing their technology right now.
1: Absolutely. I'm consulting. One of my four divisions is coaching, mentoring, and marketing. and one of those programs is called Consortium, or bringing together High Achievers to reset the way they're thinking and consult to the business small and medium businesses in a different way. We're in a paradigm shift. Business as usual is no long. There is no norm out there right now. We get to create a whole new business world. And you know, when these businesses open up, Who's going to show up? Well, you're hoping your customer will, but how many of your employees have found new jobs? There's, you know, your marketplace, your supply chain. There's complete changes in everything. And guess what, small business owners? You get to create a, a whole new paradigm where working in the box is no longer valid. Because guess what, folks? There's no box. There never has been a box. Those are limiting the leaves, and you get to get rid of all of that and set a new business plan for yourself with new people to put together stuff. There's restaurants out there that have got to change their whole gig because a lot of what they used to get for products and vegetables and those kinds of things may not be there because there hasn't been anybody to go out in the fields and nurture the replenishment of, of, yeah. of the stuff that you're going to need for your restaurants. So there's just a whole different paradigm here. It's a very exciting to me because that's the focus of our company for the last eight years is to go out and help people to throw away the box and look at their business and their life from a perspective of, okay, let's achieve something. Jazzbear, you know how good you feel. You people out there listening – to this today how good do you feel when you achieve something really nice right now how good does that feel when somebody that you respect acknowledges that achievement that is the mindset of the future of business business leaders are going to have to be more engaged with the the people that both work for them and the relationships they've created with their customers
0: and it also has a lot of benefits to you know, environment as well. I, I was reading something where I was saying that air pollution has reduced, noise pollution, and you know, the rivers have cleaned up, and you, know, you see more, more birds around the trees. And it's had a very, very positive impact in one sense. It's unfortunate people are dying, and that's the downside, but the good, there's a lot of good side as well, if you, if you look at it. So it's definitely changing times. Let's shift gears now and, and talk about you know, when we were having this conversation before the interview, when we spoke last, the first questions I asked you when, we, when you talked about observing people, I said, how is that different from NLP? Because in NLP, you do a lot of, you watch body language and you respond if you want to, what is it called? What's the technique called? Mirroring us. I think it's mirroring, it. mirroring, sure. mirroring and matching. That's what it's called. So for people that are thinking, well, that's NLP. How is what you do is different from, from NLP?
1: NLP is a modality that works with known memories, et cetera. What we're teaching here is in a conversation with anyone, you know, you're not in a session, you're in a conversation and you have a message for the person that you're talking to. Whatever that message is, the message could be selling them on pineapple pizza, whatever. It really doesn't matter. Selling them on yourself to go out tonight or, you know, your goods or services or or whatever it is, you're selling. and When you're working with known memories, which NLP normally does, that's one in perspective. What we work with when we're working with repetitive behavior cellular regression, we're not working with anything known, all right? So it's actually amnesia is something that protects you from a very severe emotional event, okay? If it happened pre-language, the event cannot be figured out. It cannot be motioned through. There's, there's, you can't go to mom and dad and say, I just observed this or this just happened and I don't understand it because you have no language skills yet. So the natural protection system or amnesia clicks in and there is a, a protection around that we call the active block. The active block's job is to protect you from remembering that memory. Now, it also will distract you and have you go to other significant emotional events that occurred after the memory, many years, whatever, many different types of things. It's kind of like a Christmas tree lights, and you can't find the on-off switch. We help you find where it's plugged in and unplug them. Now, you can plug them in anytime you want, but you control the switch not something else that's inside of your head. So that later on, after you find the amnesia memory, it's created through a new neural pathway. The, mat, the original neural pathway that, that put placed that emotional event has been blocked off. It's gonna stay blocked off. But when you go through the CR process, you find a new neural pathway back to that area of your brain and those memories are are open to you. They just no longer have an emotional tie. NLP, AMDR, and a number of modalities, they seem to come in through the sides of of the brain. Traditional behavioral science starts at the prefrontal cortex, or the front of the brain, and works back. Because we work with the five senses, we're in the back of the reptilian part of the brain working forward. So we're literally coming in the back door of the memories, to get ourselves up to the cortex and, and various places, depending on where we're going. Does that make sense?
0: It does, yeah. I mean, especially for, I mean, I went through NLP training some time ago. And also, since from a young age, I've really enjoyed, just, just like for yourself perhaps, observing people. So every time we used to travel, my uncle at the airport, you know, kids, back then we didn't have phones and things like that. Yeah. So my uncle or, or my father would go, right, look at these people here. I want you to pick anyone and uh, tell me as much as you can about them. Of course, we didn't know them or anything. And, and we used to do that. And I remember when I was writing my book, I used to go to a cafe as well. And this cafe was, it was the big shopping mall in London, on the west of London, west end of London. And as you, I would always pick that one seat or wait for it to be empty. And, I, and I, you know, I would wait for that for people to leave so I can sit there. When you sit there, you look outside the window and there's people, you know, coming in because there's a parade of restaurants on one side. And as you would come here, you would go up the escalators. Mm-hmm. And most of them don't notice that the cafe window people can see from inside to outside. And I would say, you know what, I'm going to spend a couple of hours write as much as I can and go home and I'd be there for seven, eight hours. It was just, you know, especially around the weekends. It was so interesting how people behave and, you know, one follows the other and then you start picking up these patterns and these things. And you know what, I think the next person's going to do this and that starts to happen. And that was very fascinating and, and strange at the same time. So how do you, you know, when it comes to sales teams or leaders, how is this kind of applicable? I mean, when I was learning NLP and I was trying to go, right, if the person's looking to the right, that would mean they're making things up or they're thinking, they're, they're recalling something from, there from memory. So how does it apply to a situation for a salesperson?
1: Well, for us, and in the book, we teach to observe left hemis. you know, there's, we split you down in, in, in the middle. So anything yeah. that they do left side is a good thing. Let's, let's go back to the Roman Empire. When they would take a city, they would offer the men in that city the opportunity to become part of the Roman Legion or be put to death or slaves. That's the way it was. And it wasn't for a term of enlistment. It was usually for the rest of your life until you got too old to be an effective soldier. And if you did a good job, the Roman Legion commander would say, you were honorable. You can go home and rejoin your family, or if you did something really, really heroic, they would let you go home. They would free your obligation. Here's the thing about armies way back, and and it's still true today, is if you were left-handed, they would teach you to become right-handed. Because when you have a couple of thousand people walking at an enemy, you don't want part of them with their arm. Swords in one hand and part them with the swords in the other. You're going to hurt the guy beside you. So protection was left and assault was right. Okay. So over thousands of years, the human psyche has become to protect to the right and love to the left. Okay. So in my webinars, for instance, uh, May 21st, I'm doing a webinar where the proceeds go to veterans and their families. I teach in there about, you know, when a boxer steps back to throw a strong punch, whether it's left or right, whatever arm is their power punch, that leg is also their plant leg so that they can throw the body and the punch with the most power. So when UE attacks somebody or go into – Distrust or fear, we go to the right because that's the protection side. Whereas when we trust someone and we are observing that they are understanding our message, let's say I am presenting to my board of directors. As I am talking, I'm getting real time feedback by what they're doing with their bodies. Are they tilting left? Are they looking down? Have they become distracted? Okay. In NLP, if somebody looks down and to the right, they're lying most of the time, okay? That is a behavior that tells me as somebody who's presenting, they're not engaged with me. However, if the person starts to go, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, I understand that, but if they start to go right, I give them a temperature check, it's in the book, I give them a question. Does that make sense? 97% of the time, the person is going to respond with a yes. The other 3% of the time, they have a question, or they don't get it. The message is not getting through. So by giving a temperature check or asking several times through the presentation, does that make sense? You get two things. The human is hearing their voice give permission this word yes. And number two, you know that what you're sending out is being received and it's understood. So if I'm getting negative feedback or people are starting to go to the right, I wanna find out why they're going to the right. What am I saying that, what part of my message is not getting through clearly and what do I do about changing that? So that's what I teach the uh, people in my higher level C-suite executives. Okay, Uh, coaching people and other people who want to talk or or they want to give presentations or something like that. I teach them the same thing, but in a different context. Okay, if you're giving a speech to the Rotary Club, and halfway through your presentation, half of them are slightly right. You want to stop and rethink. Your message is not getting through. And in an instant, you can change your messaging based on the way that they are reacting to you, as opposed to people all of a sudden wanting to interrupt you. Some people will do that, but the majority won't. They'll just go, okay, here's another one of these talking heads. Let him finish his talk, shake his hand, give him a nice prize for being here at the Rotary today, and we'll let it go. But then somebody will go, wow, this is amazing. I got to talk to this guy. And when they're doing that, they're coming to the left, and they're paying attention, they're engaging you, even if their body is askew, they're starting to turn their body to you, fully engaging you. Like the uh, story about uh, the $2,000 suit that I, I gave to somebody. You know, they were st- I, I closed them, the guy was standing in front of me, with his arms closed. Traditionally, that means nobody. I'm not interested, right? Yeah. Well, what did it mean? that his head was tilted left and his legs, his feet were parallel to me. Fully engaged, fully trusting, ready to buy. I stopped my presentation to this guy and I said, uh, so you ready to buy your suit? Yeah, you take visa? Yeah, okay. So he sits down and, and we start the paperwork process and all of a sudden the guy goes like this. Wait a minute. I go, you have a question? He says, yeah, I travel the country Sell it, and I'm very good at it. I make multi-million-dollar sales when I go talk to people. I'm standing in front of you, giving you a no-buy, crossed arms sign, and you knew to close me. How did you do that? And I said it was simple. Your head went left, which meant that you trusted what I said, and you were confirming that you were ready to buy the suit. And you were standing in front of me with your feet parallel to me means that you were completely open to what my stuff was. This is a learned response, or maybe you're even told. I don't pay any attention to crossed arms, and that's why the book is called What Crossed Arms Don't Tell You. And he goes, well, I'll be. So do you have any other questions? No, let's keep going. What do we got? My first $2,000 custom clothing sale, suit sale, came from a guy crossed arms with his head to the left, trusting me. Kind of cool, huh? Wow.
0: So, would the indication of the head would be so basically, if your body's more to the left, sorry, tilting to the left while you're centered, uh-huh. that would mean they're fully engaged to you and they kind of understand what
1: you're saying. They they get it. They're yeah. with you. Yeah, it's Got like it. I, okay I am in front of your cam- my camera right now. Okay. Yeah. If I start to go right, I means this is the right side of the body. If I start to come right, the message is not getting clear. I have questions, I'm not sure I get what you're saying, or worst case scenario, I don't trust you, okay? But if I'm looking at you and I'm fully engaged, and I'm left, it doesn't matter that I'm going up and down, okay, up and down can be a learned response. Freeze, okay, I'm listening to you, I'm not buying, I'm gonna be cool, I'm not gonna buy this. Wow, he's, yeah, that makes sense, I understand. Ah, okay. Now I get it. It's completely different. And you can change what you're saying at the same time. So if I was presenting to you and you started to go to the right, I would stop and say, does that make sense? Because you obviously have a question. But I don't say that, okay? Because sometimes if a, people, a person says, you obviously have a question, that's disrespectful in my mind. So I just say, does that make sense? And you give me a yes or a no.
0: Wow. And if someone, you know, someone asks, or, you know, you obviously, throughout your time, you tried this, and, and it worked, you discovered you tried and it worked. How many roughly people did you kind of apply this to and go, you know, what, I'm, I'm onto something or, yeah, I get it. But for example, if I was to say, NLP, someone goes, you know, what, if you learn NLP techniques, you'll be able to sell better. I'm like, and the first question I'll ask is, you know, other than how easy it is to learn, it'll be, how many people have you tried it with? Thousand, ten thousand? 10,000? What's the sample size and how many you worked and how many didn't, how many was it? So what was it for, for your technique?
1: I was a very successful Navy recruiting marketer, okay? Hi. So when a person would come in to me and sit across from me, similar to what you're doing right now, I would profile them as my message getting through. I've learned this about 40 years ago. And I right. used it very successfully and taught my teams how to use that very successfully so that when we had somebody sitting down in front of us who was about to join the Navy, okay, first off, we did not lie to them ever, told them the truth. You know, if they wanted a job they didn't qualify for, so you just don't qualify. There's, that's just the way it works. You know, not everybody can be an astronaut. That's just the way it is. But you have extremely good skills that you could do a lot of different jobs that could pay you well and give you the opportunity to see the world. There's, there's a lot of things you, you've got going for you right now that reality check says that you can really be successful in rather than, you know, let's say you're colorblind and you want to be an electrician. Guess what, guy? It's not going to happen. Okay. You're not going to know the difference between various shades of colors. And you might put two live wires together and blow something up, including yourself. So that's not going to happen. We're not going to allow you that, that opportunity. And so my people would watch how our prospects were working. And same with when I went into sales and custom clothing and things like that. It was very successful, and I've been doing it for years. I've mentored and coached over my adult life probably 1,200, 1,400 people. I think I figured it up at one point. And, and so I and consulted about twelve or 1,400 people in that time frame. And this basis is true just about every time. If it isn't true, if I misread somebody, it's because I misread them. It wasn't because the left-right changed at some point.
0: And did it not kind of tempt you to, or kind of put through, I don't know if it's possible, some sort of scientific studies for someone to go away and go, right, let me test this theory, let me try it on 3,000 sample or 5,000 or 10,000 to see, kind of, because it could be very, very beneficial to a lot of companies and a lot of people. Obviously, you know, you can only do so much with your company. You know, there's obviously challenges in growing and trying to spread your message, By releasing that kind of study, you might get a lot more exposure uh, compared to just able to achieve with your company now.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, here's the thing. I have found something that is consistent. And like I mentioned, if I misread somebody, it's because I misread them. It wasn't because of the principles of the book. Sure. When we take somebody through the CR process to find that amnesic memory, it's a question and answer sequence and we use the wording in that sequence exactly. I created it 10 years ago, remember? And I still read the form word for word when I take a client through the process because I know the results are going to happen. Now if they don't, nothing's lost. You simply backtrack and see where you varied and make the correction and keep going. Because when you work with somebody, they're completely out of emotion. So you can't make them upset, and you can't do this wrong. You just, you know, backtrack to the point where you find where, where you strayed and correct it. Now, the results and, and the reviews have been amazing for my book. So it's a matter of getting out there, right? Coronavirus has kept me off the stage. I had seven uh, really nice uh, speaking gigs this year that are not going to happen. Well, maybe one or two of them will happen at the end of the year there we'll see, but what I did do is, and for you guys watching, I contacted the people that were running all those events that got canceled and started giving them proposals to do this speak our webinars and uh, the group that I spoke to Wednesday, I don't know how many was on because i'm not i'm not I'm the host, so I had to sign in too but the, the host there said people who watch our uh, webinars live could be anywhere from 20 or 30 to several hundred, you know, because the association that I spoke for was around 12,000 people and that's a pretty good size. And now uh, next Wednesday, I'm speaking to an association that's global. The other one was national, global that has 56,000. So anywhere from, 30,000 to two people could read that. The word will get out. It's just, you know, keep thinking, you know, keep thinking of ways that you you can step out in front of somebody and get your message out. I teach message. That's the big thing. This is how to make sure your message gets out to where it's going and to verify in live time that your message is received. Wow. Awesome.
0: And... It was fascinating for me and it makes me want to crave. And, and definitely, people do, do check out Terry's book. It's available on Amazon. So, do have a check it out, have a look at it. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about, give us a little bit more about a few more points because it really fascinates me about learning the body language. And I know it's about, you know, first and foremost, the message. What else can people look for to kind of get this message across? Now, I've had situations and I've seen, you know, leaders and managers when they want to tell someone, and especially at this time, a lot of people will get laid off, a lot of people who are working 40-hour weeks. I don't know if you have zero-hour contracts in America, but we, in UK, we have that, where people are working 40 hours and suddenly they're told, sorry, you've got to go, we've we got to leave you. I'm sure if things change in a couple of months time, they'll be invited back. But that relationship, how do you kind of apply that to those situations where you, if I was to ask, and I have done this previously, if I was to go and ask for a promotion or a pay rise back in the day, I would want to make sure that my boss is in a very good mood that the day I do it. Hmm. And that could mean one week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, whatever that might be. That, a typical person would look for that uh, to, to kind of make sure their message kind of gets across. Now, I know it, it kind of have, has other factors. Using this example, how can that person learn and apply that to see if the manager or their leader is on their side, their messaging is getting across, tilt of the head, there's that one thing. What else can they look for?
1: Well, you know, are they distracted? Are they paying attention to you? Do you have eye contact? You know, right here on Zoom, I've been in Zoom meetings with 50, 60, 70 people. So I'm I'm constantly floating through my screen, see, you know, who's doing what, and People who get on screens and on, on, in Zoom and stuff like that, and they turn their cameras off, that's disrespectful, you know, uh, in my mind and, and a lot of other people's minds too. But, you know, your temperature checking, just like you said, you're, ch- you're checking, you know, does it appear that they're in, in, in a good mood? Are they engaged or do they seem to be doing this number a lot? You know, they're not engaged. They may not even be listening to you at all or whoever's talking. Okay, so it's probably not a good idea to have a separate discussion with the person, but rather open up an opportunity for yourself to say something profound in the conversation so that the person who's not paying attention goes, Ooh, what did you just say? I like that. Okay, you're engaged, you're here, you're professional. I like that. The person then, even though they may continue to be acting as if they're distracted if you reach out to them private message and and say i'd like to have a conversation with you here in the near future is that something that you would be open to you know about how i'm doing here and and where the company's going and that would be a good time for that person to respond positively to you. Well, I'm busy as crazy, crazy busy right now. But yes, I do want to talk to you. So now you go into a follow up mode. And if if you have the opportunity to regularly speak up, but it's not something that you you're you're kind of introverted, speak up. Say things that are profound so that people stop and listen to you. Like he doesn't talk very often, but wow, when he does, I listen, because he says something very, very interesting. They will probably want to have a conversation with you about expand more on what you said there, Terry. I liked what you said in the meeting. Tell me more about this. What are your thoughts? Now you have absolute attention because they have other, th- other ideas for you in the future okay? Like never you're talk to you, them. sorry?
0: Sorry, it's almost like you're trying to engage them, you're trying to say, you said what you wanted to say, and then you're almost like, hey, what do you think? Do you think it's kind of engaging them, making sure they're involved?
1: Yeah, without telling them or asking them, you know? When you say something that's, is well thought out, people will stop and listen to that. And when you do it regularly, either in posts or comments on posts or whatever it is that you're doing. If you're in a company, how you're engaging people with their teams. Maybe they have Google Teams or something like that. And you choose your words very carefully so that when people read the words, they are impressed with what you're doing. It's the person or the boss that never pays attention to you at all. They don't see you. Or you're on the chopping block in the future, in the next cut, you're on the chopping block because they never talk to you. The people that they talk to and engage with regularly, those are the ones that seem to miss the chopping block when when it comes. Or if they do hit the chopping block, it's usually private and they have a discussion about some other people that they want you to talk to because they don't want you to be out on the street. They like you and they respect you. When I've been fired before, that's how it went. I came in the boss's office, got to liquidate your position, man. I've been searching around and I got a couple of people I'd like you to talk to because I want you to stay in the business. I just, I can't keep you. That's a different conversation than you get a peak slip on on your desk. Don't come to work tomorrow, all right? Take your stuff home at the end of the day because today's your last pay.
0: I think with times changing now, it's very difficult to keep hold of talent. Stop talent and, and keep them engaged and kind of, it's a lot of give and takes. So the times are changing now. That's something I've observed. I mean, a typical person staying in that position is about 18 months. You'll be lucky if they, if they do, unless they work for Apple or Google or one of those big companies where they can pay you more and they give you all the facilities and everything. Here's a question for you. What you're saying, I can understand if I put myself in those shoes and apply it. If it's a few people, I can probably manage. I mean, five, perhaps six, when it's a big audience. Now, how do I kind of judge? I might have a couple of people I picked up on that are not kind of engaged. And I see a big, large number of audiences. How do you kind of, A, first of all, it's very difficult to keep an eye on majority because you're kind of cruising spraying your attention rather than focusing on one point, when would you kind of, I know you mentioned earlier, on to change your message or tweak something. On what basis would you tweak it? Because I can only see, I might be spraying around, it might be more than that, but I picked up just two people. I'm like, okay, the rest of the 20 people are okay. It's just the two people that are not.
1: Mm-hmm. It depends on how disengaged they are or confused. Is there fear? Those types of things are something that you may want to adjust or do you want to just, if your instincts tell you better ask the question. Does that make sense? Let's see what these two people do. If I ask the question generally, does that make sense? And then you look over at them and see what their response is because they give you the, I don't want to say anything. Maybe there's somebody you want to reach out to after the presentation. If there's only a couple of people. Ah, uh, very small percent—ten percent 10% or less. You probably want to talk to them separately, or if you already know your presentation well enough that you can adjust your message slightly, that may bring them in. Now you've done something. And there's times where people just don't get it, and they're not even sure why they're in the room, and you just move on from there. You know, you're speaking to the majority. And if the majority of them are, are engaged with you and they're not doing this with their cell phones and their iPads, then your message is pretty well getting across. What I found is asking, does that make sense? Many times through the pr- course of my presentation, so I don't care whether it's 10 minutes or two hours, it doesn't matter. I've given people permission to, to hear their voice say yes out loud. And I find out how many people in the room get it. It's the message getting through. Because there's some in the room that are never going to get whatever you say. And that's just the way it is. There's some in the room that cannot wait for the presentation to get over so they can get one-on-one with you. Because it um. they they need you, right? Those are present too. And then there's some that just like to connect with the shiny object speaking at the front of the room. They want to be seen, heard, touched, interview, introduce themselves to the speaker because they're cool. They spoke today. There's those people too. And you you get to strike a median in there where you decide that your message is going through. Now, if you're giving a presentation to a board, you want those people paying attention to you and understanding you. So that's a little different than giving a presentation to a rotary club who are there to have fun and have some lunch or breakfast, whatever it is, and listen to somebody that is engaging. They're a different group to keep engaged than if people are coming to an event to see you and you're up there. You want to give as much of yourself as you can without varying too far from what your, your base content is. Does that make sense?
0: It does, yes, yeah.
1: Good. Awesome.
0: Now coming towards the end of the show, what's next for Terry? You know, you've, you've done the book now. I'm sure the plan was to do some tours and done some speaking gigs and, and spread the message. I'm sure that will come eventually more and more. For now, I'm sure it's a few webinars. What's, what's the next big thing for you?
1: Well, continuing this, this is actually book two of three books that I've done. And a lot of my f- social media friends have have asked me to write a book on my quotes and my poetry and those kinds of things. So Words I Walk With are, it was published uh, the first of the year. But right now, it's getting on as many podcasts and doing some webinars. 21st of this month, I'm going to do a, an open webinar where the proceeds go to veterans and their and their families, which is a a nonprofit that we opened up some years ago, about five years ago now, I guess. And just keep speaking, getting it out there. And a lot of the podcasters that interview me have already either interviewed me again or they've scheduled me to talk about a different subject that we do. We do have four divisions. so, And I'm the mouth of the company, so I get to do all the speaking. So yeah, and it's fun. And you know, you meet terrific people all the time, just can't meet them live. And I'm a hugger, so that's kind of rough. But <laughs> that, you know, most of my friends, Jasper, are all over the world. I've never shook their hands, and we're terrific friends. We speak all the time on Zoom and, and, and everything. Someday we'll get there, or they'll get here, and, and we'll have a chance to do human meet time. But right now, it's all internet, it's virtual.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I look forward to welcoming you when the COVID-19 is over to London, uh, hopefully around the summertime. So yeah, you've got to plan it very well.
1: <laughs> summertime would be better.
0: Just before you go, any last messages? And, and also, what's the best place for people to contact you, you know, send you messages, ask you questions? or?
1: I have a very unique name, Terry Earthwind Nichols. If you were to Google Terry Nichols, you'd get about 20,000 in North America. But if you Google, I'm Native American, Chickamauga. If you Google with my tribal name, Terry Earthwind Nichols, you get one and you get everything. You get my Amazon, YouTube channels, websites, blogs, all kinds of stuff. So if you go to Amazon.com, for instance, and Google on Amazon, Terry Earthwind Nichols, you get my author page. It's got all my books. They're available on paperback and Kindle. And so and if you do a general Google search, you can find anything else out that you want about there. It's a very open book and and reach out to me if what you're hearing today resonated with you and you'd like me to speak for your group or train. I do virtual trainings. So
0: awesome. Any last words before we go?
1: This is enjoyable, Jasper. I'm I'm so glad that you invited me on your show and you know, mastering the art of observation is for everybody. It's not winning over the other person. It's delivering a message to them that they understand. That's what it's all about. Be, if you can be anything, ladies and gentlemen, be kind. Be kind to people. And it'll come back to you. It sure does for me.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. I hope you got some great value and insights from this episode. If, and if you're someone who wants to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur, then I have some great free resources for you. If you visit www.jazzbearaurora.com, that's www.jazzbearaurora.com, and drop me a line, I will send you an ebook and also a one-hour masterclass. And also um, go and take the Escape the 95 survey, uh, which will help you understand where you are right now. Um, and where the gaps are in your knowledge to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur. And if you're a business and you need help growing, or if you have any uh, issues that you'd like to discuss, then yeah, once again, visit the website and I'll be more than happy to help you. Thank you for listening.